Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Nailing the top 10 picks is really the foundation of a good mock draft. Last year is the perfect example. We created the greatest mock draft of all time on this channel. 16 of 32 correct selections. And it's all because we hit on nine of the first 10 picks. What's our secret? It's actually this show specifically, this episode, where we talk to the people who cover teams selecting in the first 10 picks. National insiders and and their mock drafts, they're really great for ranges of players, I feel. But a lot of their connections are based on what teams say about other teams. We want to go directly to the source or at least get as close as possible to the people who are covering the teams on a daily, weekly, yearly basis. So two things before we get started. One, 68% of you who are watching this video right now are not subscribed to this channel. That's not nice. Fix that. It's really free. Hit the button down below. Even hit in the notifications. We have a ton of great NFL draft content already on the channel and plenty more to come, including a live stream during round one. And second, I have an updated mock draft in the description down below that uses all the information that we get that you're about to get from this video as well. So check it out again. That's in the description. We, you know, hit on the best mock draft ever last year, the most accurate mock draft of all time. And we're trying to match it again. So go and check that out. Okay. With all that said, enjoy the show. Let's roll. Jacksonville Jaguars, once again, picking at number one overall. We have to bring on our guy, John Shipley, beat writer for Jaguar Report. John, simple question. Lots of late buzz on Trayvon Walker here attached to the number one overall selection that he fits the quote-unquote athletic critical factors that Trent Baalke looks for. Something put, do you buy it? Because it certainly has felt like it's been Aiden Hutchinson locked into the number one spot since Cam Robinson's franchise tag. Yeah, I'll put it this way. I think even if the Jaguars select Aiden Hutchinson, I still believe that Walker, you know, smoked the idea that, you know, the Jaguars and specifically Trent Baalke himself are high on Walker and are considering him as one of the primary options at number one. I still think that's true. I I, I really think when it comes down to a number one pick, you know, most teams have, you know, already decided on who they're picking at this point. But if the Jaguars were hypothetically you know, trying to still decide. I really do think it would come down to Hutchinson and then Walker right behind him. And I, I think, you know, there are lots of reasons why to think, uh, you know, Walker, he's a guy who, you know, outside of the obvious, you know, length obsession that Trent Baalke, you know, has with some of his past draft picks, you know, he's a guy who he matches a lot of them in terms of just, you know, play style, versatility. You know, obviously I have a higher grade than Hutchinson, but if you're talking about who's the more versatile, you know, defender just alignment wise, it's not really close between him and Walker. So I do buy the smoke, but I also think, you know, the, the Jaguars are in a situation where, you know, Trent, Trent Baalke is one of the more embattled GMs in the NFL. If he if he takes Aiden Hutchinson and he busts, I don't think that many people are, you know, coming for his head. But if he takes, you know, Trayvon Walker and he doesn't work out, then, you know, obviously that's, that's not a situation, you know, you can really come back from. Yeah. We talk a lot on this show about, like, athletic testing and how much that should matter for a, a pass rusher because, really, at the core of it, 
if you have an athletic advantage over your opposition, that really helps in a one-on-one -on -one situation. But it's not like Aiden Hutchinson is a even average athlete. He's a fantastic athlete as well. So you'd think, other than the length obsession, as you mentioned, yeah. that at least that critical factor is checked out on both sides. And just looking at the books right now, I think Aiden Hutchinson is minus 200 to be the number one overall pick. Trayvon Walker is around plus 300, plus 350. Do you think we're going to know this number one pick ahead of time? Like, we, we obviously did from an outside perspective no for months it was going to be trevor lawrence what about this yeah. year no I, I think this year it's going to be the draft i keep coming back to is i think it could be similar to the baker mayfield draft where mm. you know everybody had their guesses and it wasn't until you know really goodell was up there announcing the pick that anybody you know really had any idea who the actual pick was going to be so i think it's going to go all the way to draft night I, that's not to say i think you know the jaguars are going to be debating this until then but i just think you know that they have no real reason one to kind of you know show their cards at this point obviously i i don't think it's any secret or you know even outside of any logic that they would love a trade down but i mean if you're in a draft where you know the top 10 is going to be you know almost no players who touch the ball and you know all pass rushers right. offensive tackles there's no reason for a team to trade up to number one you know you can get a guy similarly graded you know at number four you can't number one i need 24 hours ahead of time john just like a favor to me man <laughs> I, a favor this. for both of us this has been this has been a long long one for me <laughs> and and you you talking about baker even reminds me of like the miles garrett draft because like 24 hours ahead of that i think Schefter or someone reported that Mitchell trubisky was in play for number one overall too Absolutely. so like these things these things happen every single year okay so if you're leaning aiden hutchinson number one overall i need to ask you about this other report do you buy this quote-unquote anonymous afc coach that said, it's the worst kept secret that Doug Peterson wants an offensive player at the number one overall selection. Yeah, he, here's my thing with that. I and this is you know not based on me having you know any inside information on what Doug Peterson's mindset would be, but for me, if I'm just like looking at this, you know, logically, if you're an offensive head coach, you know, your entire career, even playing career, was on the offensive side of the ball. That's where your bread and butter came out with Philadelphia. And you're walking into Jacksonville and, you know, you're just watching their offensive tape from last season. You're looking at their offensive roster, even after free agency. I would probably want an offensive player, too. You know, right. I, I think, you know, most people would rationalize that. The difference is I think that they can, you know, Doug Peterson can want, you know, in a, you know, perfect world to have an offensive player at number one. But there still not be a player they see at number one you know, worthy of that pick, you know, among the offensive tackles. I, I really do believe that they're high on Ika Mekwanu. I think, you know, they see him as like a perfect zone blocking scheme, you know, left tackle, somebody who can play guard early on, you know, while they figure things out with Cam Robinson for the long-term future. So I, I do think there's reasons to believe that could be true, but I don't think that necessarily means anything in terms of changing the number one pick because, I mean, you know, just as well as I do, you know, obviously head coaches and GMs are, you know, normally in sync with what they want to do. But, I mean, if, if you ask them every year, you know, the head coach of 32 teams, what they would right. want to do, I'm sure not many are matching, you know, what the teams right. actually do. Okay, two more questions. I'll get you out of here. Uh, you've written about this recently in Jaguar Report in one of your mailbags. Thoughts on, on pick number 33, which direction they can go? Yeah, I, I, I know they've been pegged as a wide receiver at that spot for a long time. You know, obviously before free agency, before they spent, you know, all that money on Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, and you might as well say Evan Ingram at this point. Yeah. You know, he's basically a wide receiver. I, I really think at 33, they're going to be looking at non-receiver positions. I think linebacker's a big one. You know, they've 
if, if you count Dylan Moses from last season, you know, they've lost four linebackers from the guy from, from last mm-hmm. year's roster and they've only added one, you know, they lost miles Jack. They lost Damian Wilson. They lost Dakota Allen. So I really think they want to add a starting linebacker who fits their scheme because, you know, Shaquille Quarterman going back to his Miami days, you know, he's really been kind of a run thumper special teams guy. I think a guy like Quay Walker and even a guy like Christian Harris at number 33 make a lot of sense. I think they're really high on Quay Walker. You know, this, the amount of things he was asked to do in Georgia's scheme from a coverage standpoint, I think they're going to be extremely high on. Okay, so you mentioned a few of those names in Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones that were added over the last few weeks in, in for agency. We've spoken about them a lot. The name that I think has kind of been not forgotten per se, but pushed the back of the line because of those new additions is uh, Travis Etienne. Is it possible to really like gauge expectations for this quote second year player when it's really going to be his first in the field in the NFL? And, and I'm going to jump to an assumption here with James Robinson hurt. Is it as easy to say that ETN is the lead back heading into his real first season in the league? I think he's the lead back heading into training camp, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I struggle to say into the season just because I think, you know, James Robinson's the type of player that. You know, his game was already built on, you know, steadiness, you know, vision, smarts, his ability to pass protect. He already wasn't, you know, an overly explosive player. I think once he's back on the field sometime in training camp, it'll just be a matter of time before, you know, the Jaguars are going to want him on the field more one way or another. I mean, you look at the kind of backs they've kind of looked at both in free agency that they considered signing and during the pre-draft process. They've been more of those power type backs. I think Doug Peterson wants a back like that for his offense. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, Travis Etienne, just dating back to his college days, he's not really the guy you want back there, you know, pass pro on third down. So I think Etienne's going to have a big role, especially, you know, as a pass catcher out of the backfield. It's just, you know, I've seen just like you, you know, some projections of him as, you know, like there's their undoubted, you know, starting running back heading into the season. And I just, it, it's hard for me to bet against James Robinson considering, you know, everything we've seen from him over the years. Like I, I, I can say this for certainly urban Meyer did not look at James Robinson as his, you know, bona fide number one running back going into training camp last year. But even if ETN didn't get hurt, it was going to be James Robinson just because I mean, once you get on the field, that's what matters. And James Robinson is simply that good of a player. John Shepley, Jaguar Report. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate your time as always. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. The Detroit Lions pick at number two, so it's time for Chris Burke of The Athletic to join me. I'll say it this way, Chris. The Lions stunk again, so that means you're forced to speak with me again. So blame them. <laughs> yeah. Blame them, Chris. Okay, I will. Um, <laughs> let's start with the easiest statement here. Let's say Trayvon Walker goes to the number one overall selection. If Aiden Hutchinson is there at number two, is he the pick? I think so yeah i mean i, I it's such a weird for as year. much as we know about like right now what would you say would happen i would think that would be the pick i i can't get to 100 percent on any scenario frankly right. with the lions but i think that would be the pick and i think that you know just in terms of what they need the way they've talked about wanting to sort of refine their defense this offseason the character stuff that we know would work you know having the local guy i just think it, he checks off all the boxes for them so um, that's the pick. I think that that would be the safest pick, but like I said, I don't, <laughs> I can't get all the way to the finish line on anything. So, uh, I, I don't know if that helps you or not. No, it does. Then we have to go to this scenario though. Like, let's say chalk happens yep. and Aiden Hutchinson is the pick at number one. And then their names like Trayvon Walker and Kayvon Thibodeau there at pick number two. I saw in the athletic, a beat writer mock draft that this exact scenario was there and you firmly confidently 
Pick KT at number two. (laughs) Uh, I don't know about the firmly and confidently part, but that was the pick. um, And I've gone back and forth on that, you Mm. know, because I think there's an argument certainly for Walker. I mean, they want versatility up front. They like the athleticism. I mean, everyone likes his testing numbers and everything. Um, I think he would fit well with their defense in terms of the way they like to move guys around. So certainly there's a case for Trayvon Walker. The thing about Thibodeau, that I can't really account for. I, I think they love the player. And I think, you know, Dan Campbell's talked about just how he pops off the tape, how electric he is, you know, when you watch him and he does some of the stuff off the edge, they can drop him in space if they need to. I think he's this narratives come up that he's not good against the run. And I don't know that that's true. I think you can play him on all three downs. He's really heavy handed and powerful. So uh, a lot of that stuff. And what you can't really account for is whether his character, whether his personality is going to mesh, and they put in a ton of time on this. They've been on him for probably since Brad Holmes was with the Rams, frankly. He's had yeah. Thibodeau's uh, name on his board. And, you know, Holmes went out there and watched him. Um, when the Lions played the Rams this year, he went to the went out and watched Oregon play. They've sent seven people to the pro day. But Dan Campbell didn't go to any of the pro days. So then they had Thibodeau come in to Detroit so they could give him some time with Dan Campbell. And so uh, we don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I think they really like him. I think they're trying to get themselves to a point where they are 100% comfortable with, you know, Thibodeau the person. And, and I, I whether think, or not they got there, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's an interesting conversation because as soon as something of the sort of questioning that aspect of evaluation is is mentioned like early on in the process, people then jump to like character concerns. And I don't, that's not what you're saying. And I don't think that's what a lot of people are saying. I think now a better way to describe it is just meshing relationship wise, right? Like, because he is someone, and I don't think that this is a bad thing. I think this is kind of where almost the football player is going, where he understands it's more than football, right? He understands sure. it's a, it's the spotlights on him. And, and there's more that you can do with that than, than ever before. So it's kind of like a new age player entering the league now versus when Dan Campbell played and all the other former players <laughs> that are now on the coaching staff. And so like, if you're comfortable with that as a person, to me, I I don't see it, you know, impacting at all his motor or drive or ambition or whatever on the field at all. No. And I think that's, that's been sort of the interesting thing about Dan Campbell, because he's sort of created this like caricature of himself where, you know, the biting kneecaps and he's the old school tight end and he just wants you to be in there and nose of the grindstone and all that. And I think some of that's true. You know, he wants football players who are going to be in the building and they love football and they want to be there and they want to be at practices and all that sort of stuff. But I do also think that there um, is a big part of him. And this comes a lot from being in new Orleans with Sean Payton that has adapted over the years. And that's to the analytics side of things. That's to the play calling side of things. And I think it's to what you're speaking on here. I, I don't think they would shy away like the previous regime would have from a personality from a big personality. And they've even brought some guys in that, you know, Jamal Williams is he's going to be all over hard knocks because he's a big personality. And and yeah, yeah, DJ yeah. Shark, they just signed. He's got a big personality. So they have brought some of these guys in. It's different when you're getting these little snippets around players and hoping to, you know, put the puzzle together and make sure like this is a huge investment. If they get this wrong and Trayvon Walker goes on to be an all pro and like these are the types of decisions that can sort of unhinge the whole thing. But uh, I don't think they shy away from him just because he you know, likes to be on social media and, right. you know, it does the NIL stuff and all, all that. I like, I don't think that would push them one way or and, the other. It's just a matter of whether he fits with 
Dan Campbell, basically. Right. And j- just to put a bow on that, um, I, I don't think as exactly what you said, the previous regime might only want, we're talking about Matt Patricia here, a certain type of personality. I think part of why there are coaches on staff now is so they can get along with all personalities and so they can relate to the players that are on the field. Okay. Um, I know probably you, I even heard them when we were at the NFL Combine, some, let's say, dot connecting to potentially a quarterback here at number two. I'm going to relate back to that same mock draft that you did on The Athletic because it's really good reading. All four quarterbacks, all four were available at 32 and 34. The Lions next two selections and you passed on them both. So Chris, this is why I love having you on is because you're so close to this compared to the national side. The national side says, oh, Jared Goff, stopgap, even though they have, you know, a relationship with Brad Holmes. Um, So they have to find their quarterback at some point. Your actions as making those picks might suggest differently. Well, those, uh, that's one of the challenges of doing the, you know, beat writer mock drafts is like, I came up at 32 and I went back, like, did I miss when someone took Malik Willis? Like, why is everyone still available here? Um, and, and I think in that scenario, if they have the entire quarterback board in front of them, they could take the guy at 32. They also have a pick two picks later. So maybe you say, all right, we'll just take him at 34. I think it's possible that they would take a quarterback. They did and do, I think, really like Malik Willis. I think they like Sam Howell quite a bit too. Maybe mm. not in the first, but that's a name to maybe file away for a later pick. Um, so I do think there's some interest in quarterbacks. Kenny Pickett's in there uh, as we're recording on April 20th. I think it's the last day prospects can visit. So um, yeah, they're interested in quarterbacks. I just don't get the sense from them that they necessarily feel like they're in a spot where they have their franchise guy sort of earmarked right now. And that's the thing that they're waiting on. Because if you take a quarterback in round one, uh, if you say, all right, we, we like Desmond Ritter, right? And he, we think he could develop into something. If you're not sure he's going to be your franchise guy, that's a big leap to take when you have Goff, who's a guy that they're at least comfortable with, and you know, you're going to need a franchise quarterback eventually. So if you don't think Desmond Ritter is for sure going to develop into that guy in two years, now you've kind of hamstrung yourself. Can you take yeah. another quarterback next year? Probably not. So now you're looking at a totally different timeline. And so that's sort of uh, that's sort of why I've avoided quarterback in the first so far is just because I don't know that they feel like they're in a spot to take that leap yet. And, you know, I've been wrong before. I could be wrong in here, but that's Dang. just the sense I've gotten for the last, you know, at least three months and really dating back into the second half of last year. I'm going to trust that sense. And you had a really good tweet too. that quote, the fifth year option is not enough of a reason to take a quarterback. Um, I think we hear that cited all the time that like, Oh, obviously trading up to 32 or 31, or even taking one, we have a second first round pick in that spot because you hit the fifth year option. Like it's like, it's a prize, like it's an added bonus, <laughs> but now that fifth year is really expensive, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it, it, it might not be, especially if, if they turn out to be good, probably going to get a contract before that fifth year option kicks in right what was lamar's was lamar jackson was like 23 million or something right. like that for the fifth year so yeah i mean it's not like you're getting him on a, another rookie contract year necessarily it's not four million for that last year so yeah i mean i think that's part of it i also think you know it's just some of this is just draft cycle for fatigue for me you know it's been three months of talking about this and i think that that's the reason why so many people have put a quarterback at 32 is just because 
it's the fifth year, it makes sense. Like, right. That's sort of how we've all, we've always thought about it. You want that fifth year option. So you put him in there, but again, if you're waiting to year four or year five to figure out if this is the guy for you, then that's probably like, if you're thinking that far ahead, like, all right, well, we might want that fifth year option in case he develops. That's not the way to be doing this. Like, If he's your guy, go get him, like go up and get him at 20 or right. 15, take him at two. Um, you can't be uh, making that pick sort of, I mean, I think just exclusively based on that. If it's a tiebreaker, if you have a quarterback at 35 and you're a little on the fence on guys, sure. Right. But if you're doing it just to get the fifth year option, I don't think that that makes really any sense at all. Okay. For us sickos who really do care about pick number 32 and getting this one correct, Chris, <laughs> um, obviously pick two is important and we're even struggling to figure out who that might be, but let's get to pick 32. I've seen ne- names like Dax Hill. I've seen linebacker. Cause that's like a real potential sweet spot in that area. There's a lot of needs on this Lions team maybe one or two positions that you wouldn't think is crazy. And maybe they're even focusing on because again, sweet spots of the draft do exist. That makes sense at pick number 32. I think safety is the big one that still jumps out to me. They brought in Deshaun Elliott um, on a one-year deal. They re-signed Tracy Walker, who I think they really believe is a sort of franchise foundational piece for them defensively, but they've been pretty quiet at that spot this offseason. I think they've been looking at the draft and thinking we'll get someone who can come in and play and that, you mentioned maybe being a sweet spot for linebacker. I think safety, Dex Hill could potentially be there. Maybe Lewis Steen's there, Brisker. Uh, Jalen Petrie, I think, is a guy who'd be really interesting for them, just the way they like to use their safeties. Um, so I, I think that that's one linebacker probably. Um, and wide receiver is sort of the other obvious one, I think, mm-hmm. he, still for them with Shark and um, – you know, they re-signed Reynolds, but they don't have necessarily long-term answers there. And I don't, I think they're hoping Shark and Reynolds are really good on the outside, but you know, that's still a little bit across your fingers and hope that that works out. So I think if there's a guy there that they're uh, in love with, who can especially can play the X for them, that they, they would certainly consider that at 32 or 34. All right, Chris, you know, what? I've already been doing it and read all your stuff on the athletic before we get up to, uh, up to Thursday. So I appreciate you joining us. Thanks, yeah. Man. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Houston Texans pick three, pick 13. We'll get the second one in just a moment. We need to bring in Rivers McCown of NBC Sports Edge, football outsiders, a man who keeps a very keen and close eye on the Houston Texans. Someone, I think, follows the press conferences, what the decision makers say more closely than anyone, for better or for worse, Rivers, for your own health. How you doing? <laughs> Thanks for joining me. I, I woke up dizzy this morning, so it's got to be because the Texans are. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about this pick number three in Newsflash Rivers. Uh, this roster absolutely sucks. We know very little, though, about who Nick Casario, Lovey Smith, whoever else you want to throw in the un- decision-maker umbrella and their process really in the first round ever. I mean, they didn't have a first-round pick last year. They didn't have it the year before. This is kind of a new staff that gets kind of like twisting and turning. Um have you been able to pick up anything just surveying, reading between the lines, the tea leaves, all that type of stuff of really what they're looking for with these two top 15 picks? Well, I think the 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 clearest thing that we've seen so far is that Lovey Smith dropped the cornerback play on our roster isn't good enough uh, last press conference he was in. So I do think that's something that they might, you know, lean a little bit further on than most. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, 
as you said, this roster is awful. <laughs> uh, it, it, the only good thing about it right now is that David Johnson hasn't signed yet. So <laughs> uh, we're probably going to wind up seeing uh, best player available at both spots. Okay. The cornerback one is interesting. I want to get to that in a moment. But like when I view the top of this draft and really need best player available, kind of fits a whole bunch of those around where obviously three and 13. And with those two first round picks, like two pillar positions at cornerstone spots, can it be easily narrowed down to, you know, offensive line and then like a disruptor up front? Because look, if, if we can paint a picture here, the first two picks are going to be two of three names, most likely. And Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, and Kayvon Thibodeau. Two of those three. So if they believe, the Texans, that like, okay, we need to get one of the top three pass rushers, and who knows if they agree with that sentiment, or we can have the number one offensive lineman on our board there at number three. Is that kind of an easy way of explaining the direction they might lean at number three overall? We're getting like the third player at that position or the first player at another one. Does that make sense? I definitely think Sauce is in the running there. Um, ah. But but yes, I, I do think that they will most likely lean towards defensive end if uh, if Trayvon's still on the board or if uh, somehow Aiden Hutchinson makes it there. Um, when you look at everything that's been said about Kayvon Thibodeau and you look at what the Texans preach and, and how they operate as far as their value of football character, I don't think that they're going to pick him. I think any interest that they have in him is kind of a smokescreen. But I mean, it, like I put it this way, I would fall out of my chair with happiness if they picked him at three, but I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. Sauce being among mentioned at three overall is, is, is fascinating, but let's look at those offensive linemen. Okay. Because Larry Tunzel is still in the roster. Um, we know that Titus Howard, and I don't know if he should factor in this conversation at all, but has been, let's say a disappointment when playing inside, but then moved out to tackle at the end of last year and, and, and played better. So if Larry Tunsil, who still has two years, I believe, on his contract with the Texans is locked in at the left tackle spot, then you have a couple offensive linemen here who have experience playing guard in, in Evan Neal back, I believe, in 20, yeah, 2019, 723 snaps there. Icky Kwanu played 239 snaps at left guard in, in 2020. Anytime I mention offensive line, though, you don't seem to be biting, even though from like a national perspective, this seems to be a spot where many of us lean to. You know, it, it's I think partially for me, it's because I, I know that Titus Howard can be good. Like we've seen him be very good. It's very silly that they're going to move him inside or, you know, even question the idea of putting him back, not back at tackle. But yeah, I mean, it would be for me personally as a fan, like the most disappointing way that they go with that third overall pick. Got it. Um, I do think that it's still on the board for sure. Got it. Um, let's talk about sauce then. Like you mentioned the, the quotes from Lovey Smith, just simply stating that our cornerbacks were not good enough last year. We know not to call his scheme vanilla, but he has, you know, run the same thing <laughs> it's, for, it's vanilla. <laughs> for, for decades at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, there really are two names at the top of that cornerback position and, and Sauce and, and Derek Stingley, and who knows what they think of each. But by all accounts, Sauce Gardner is is tops among many evaluators out there. Again, that goes into this conversation of, well, if Aiden, Trayvon are off the board, then we can get the number one player at a position of need that we believe, you know, tops the board at that spot in Sauce Gardner. That. To me, it's fascinating that you mentioned that because I haven't heard anyone else mention that possibility. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I do think Stingley, um, I, I guess I'll put it this way. Nothing that the Texans would do would really surprise me at three. Right. They're, they're, so, they're, they're so awkward about the way that they try to do this character stuff that any kind of deep analysis of it from just like, uh, you know, combine attributes or whatever seems fruitless almost. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to pick George Karloftis at three. I really wouldn't. I don't think it's going to happen. But I mean, the way they talk about him, the way they, the people talk about his character wouldn't shock me one bit. Hmm. Okay. So then what about 13? That makes things a little bit more complicated. Corners a possibility. We keep throwing out other options. Um, is there any lean there or is it just more, there are so many talented players that can fill all of these holes that there's not necessarily a, a positional need at that spot. I think if they are trading down from one of these picks, it'd probably be 13. Got it. Uh, just, just kind of the way that the board is setting up. I, I do think you're trying to come above the saints at, at quarterback. I think people are, are trying to look that way. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, kind of depends on how, you know, your Panthers do, uh, how, what Washington does there. But uh, I definitely think that's a trade back spot for the Texans. And if not, then I think, you know, you could see Jordan Davis in play. You could see Karloftis in play. You could see safety uh, in play. Well, I mean, if Kyle, if, if Kyle Hamilton uh, is still there, I guess they could consider it, but they haven't really seemed as interested as him as I thought they would be. Okay. Got so, it. Okay. Yeah. And then final question. You know, this is a team with Davis Mills on the roster. There's a bunch of these other teams mentioned among quarterback interest. And just from what I've read, basically what you have said is that Lovey Smith handed the keys to the offense basically over to Pep Hamilton. And Pep Hamilton's a big fan of Davis Mills, at least for the 2022 season. So it certainly sounds like a first round quarterback is not in the realm of possibility here. Yeah, I would be stunned if a first round quarterback came off of the Texans. Um Kind of, kind of what you were saying earlier about the offensive line, though. Like, the one thing, the one consistent thing I keep hearing about this team for the last three years is got to run the ball better, got to run the ball better, got to run the ball better, got to be more consistent with the run. And that, if you trace that line of reasoning, I think you can buy yourself Icky at three for sure. I think he's probably the best run blocker in the draft. Got it. Love it. Rivers, you do some difficult work out there. <laughs> <laughs> May we all live in better times sometime soon. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thanks. The New York Jets pick at number four and number 10. So it's time to bring on Joe Caparoso, a businessman with Whistle Sports. But even more importantly, Joe, a Jets fanatic to his core with two podcasts turned the Jets and Badlands. Joe, thank you for being here. Um, I'll start with a super simple question. Okay. Since there are two picks in the top 10, if you had to pick the two positions most likely to focus on with those picks, what would it be? Has to be edge rusher and wide receiver. I think those are far and away the two most glaring holes in the Jets roster right now. Uh, I think they tried aggressively to fill both and missed this offseason. They were very much in on Chandler Jones, very much in on Tyreek Hill. Still snooping around Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf, although I don't know if either will happen. Uh, but I think in a roster that has many needs, those are at a different level and how and how much they need both of those positions right now. I, I like how you follow the money there, because I think that when these teams make decisions, they only have to be truthful with their draft picks and with their wallets. Like they can lie to us, the NFL combine all they want, but their pursuit of those big name players and not being able to get them, I think sets them up here. So if we can maybe focus on pick number four, where at the very least two edge rushers are going to go in the top three picks. 
maybe even all three. Does that kind of dictate, like, if one is left, if Trayvon Walker's left, if Aiden Hudgens is left, if Kayvon Thibodeau is left, does that does that slot into that pick at number number four, in your opinion? Because then, you know, we have a tear break. We have a drop-off, at least from our angle looking at. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the most popular pick right now for, that I've seen mocked to the Jets and among Jet fans is Thibodeau. Most fans are hoping he's going to be there at four. I think there's a little more skepticism around Walker, and that's probably more tied to the Jets' own history of yeah. taking guys like Quentin Copels that haven't worked out, Vernon Golston early that haven't worked out, even going further back. And that's not necessarily fair to Walker. Uh, it's hard to see a scenario where Hutchinson's there, but the what I've seen and the read I'm getting is that hope that Thibodeau is there for, and if not – there would be some consideration for Jermaine Johnson at four. Now I know that sounds high and I know there's maybe a hope to get him at 10. And do you go receiver instead at four, which is probably high for any of those guys. It's tough. I think every jet fans worst nightmare is probably a scenario where it goes Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Equano, because there is some chatter about Equano at four. And I think more yeah. and more fans are coming around to that just based on, you know, George fans only under contract one more year. He's 30. Mackay Beck did miss all of last season. There's some question marks about how this coaching staff feels about him as they did not draft him. And, you know, if Equan is your best player on the board and he's there at four, can you afford to pass up on him when you have a second-year quarterback who you need to protect, not just this year, but ideally many years going forward? Yeah, it seems like Icky is a possibility, just from what I've read, and I know that you're much closer to this than I am, if it does go edge, edge, edge to stop here, um, to start here, I should say. Like, that, that just seems like let's say Makai Becton, which is kind of this, you know, massive elephant in the room in that situation that, that is unfolding there. If he does, you know, turn out to be useful and starting caliber this year and the health is all good, then you have someone in Icky that can maybe start in a different place. But if not, then you have someone that can boom, immediately fill that left tackle spot. Um, is, is that kind of Yuri or could it even be over one of those other edge rushers at number four? I don't think it's off the table. You know, I, I do think there is a scenario where Joe Douglas just loves offensive line so much. He's already used back-to-back first-round picks on offensive linemen right. where even with, you know, one of these guys on the board, he has Equano right, ranked that much higher. And, you know, he, he's making that pick not just in the vacuum of 2022, but ideally how's it going to impact 2023, 2024, 2025. And Equano very well may be the best tackle on the team the day he steps on the field as a rookie. Um, and you figure it out later and you go to camp with three tackles and then maybe you trade back to him at that point or you just have depth, um, yeah. which is okay because people get hurt. You don't have to end up playing Connor McDermott down the stretch and getting Zach Wilson killed. So, you know, if you ask me today, I think the most likely scenario is they pick an edge rusher. Hopefully KT is there, although it does seem like there's more buzz for him at number two now. If he's not, I, I think they would go at Guano before they went Sauce Gardner. I just don't see them taking a cornerback in the top five in this defense. I also think they like the young corners they have. They pay DJ Reed. I don't necessarily see it as big of a pressing need as some do. I, I think they definitely want to go receiver early. I just – it's hard to see Garrett Wilson or Jameson Williams being a top five pick. You know, I, I feel a little better about them at 10. They've also been linked to Drake London a lot. He could very well be the guy at 10 if if those guys are gone. There has been a, a, a late charge of buzz around Williams, though, in, in the thinking mm. that they wanted that speed desperately with Tyree Kill, with Zach Wilson's game and his ability to throw the ball down the field. Again, drafting maybe more so for 2023 and beyond, because you may have some missed time for Williams. Uh, but I would not be shocked at all if he, he was the pick at 10 if he was still there.
Yeah, let, let's talk about those wire receiver types. And I think you laid it out there really well. Uh, part of my brain looks at what you just did, the types that they chased that were available wide receivers that have been proven caliber, you know, number ones in the league and the Calvin Ridley's, the Tyree kills, the, the, the Mark Cooper's. And if you attach one thing to them, it's like vertical playmaking. Right. Um, but again, that's the proven element. And it's not like, you know, the bigger body types were available either. So maybe when you look at the rookies, as you just said, Jameson, vertical speed, Garrett Wilson, a separator early and often, and then Drake London, not just a contested catch guy, but we also know that Zach Wilson thrived with those types of wide receivers at, at BYU. Either from your perspective, the, from, from a fan, from a supporter that you would want them to see, or if there's any you know, vein that we can tap into of the type that they might like, is, is there one that makes the most sense? Because again, there's not one that does it all necessarily at that top. And, and it's, it's fascinating that they either might get like the second, the third, or even the first one off the board at number 10 as well. Yeah. Look, I think in a perfect world, you're trying to build a diversified group of receivers. And I think by that measure, Drake London and Jamison Williams are two guys that probably make the most sense. They need a big body contested catch traditional sort of X receiver. Corey Davis isn't that Elijah Moore isn't that uh, now is London with some of the question marks about his speed and some of the testing he didn't do, is he worth it at 10? I think you can make a fair case he is. And I, I do think a lot of what Zach Wilson does is pushing the ball down the field in broken pocket situations. And you want someone who could win on contested catches because the Jets were terrible on that last year. I think with Williams, you know, he's just a pure home run threat, a pure deep threat, which Elijah Moore is great. And I think he will be great. I just, that's not yeah. what his game is really. So th those two kind of, seem to make the most sense. I don't necessarily know Traylon Burks is in play unless maybe they trade up from 35 because they don't go receiver with the first two picks. I, I kind of like Garrett Wilson as like the best overall receiver in the class. And I think you can make a case that he'd be just fine next to Corey Davis and Elijah Moore because all three of them could play all three different positions. There just hasn't been quite as much buzz about the Jets and Wilson as there's been with Williams in London though. Final question. And you touched on this and just if you can extrapolate on it, it'd be even better. Many people look at the Jets from like a national perspective, see a void at corner. So they attach Sauce Gardner to this selection at number four. Um, for my seat, you look at past Robert Sala defenses, you look at Joe Douglas's time with the Philadelphia Eagles, and they simply like don't value that position to that level because they believe in building in, you know, disruption up front, safeties that can travel. Um, for someone even closer than I am, do, do you agree with that sentiment? Look, I think... You saw their approach last year, right? They have not necessarily invested crazy heavy at the position. They used three day three picks last year on cornerbacks. They were really encouraged by what they got out of Brandon, Brandon Eccles and Michael Carter as rookies. The year before, they got Bryce Hall in the fifth round, uh, and he's been he's held up pretty well. Then they go and pay DJ Reed. So I think at their, in their mind, they have DJ Reed as one starter. They have Michael Carter as their slot. And then they're going to have Hall and Eccles compete for that other spot. And whoever doesn't win adds some depth. So I think they're going to go back to the day three dart throw uh, approach and count their count on their coaching staff to develop players on day three without necessarily using a premium asset uh, on that position. And I think they, they're going to be confident about that after how last year went, because, you know, the other Michael Carter and Brandon Eccles were not household names. And both those guys played good football last year. They were not the main reason the Jets struggled. And I don't think they want to throw those guys aside necessarily uh, in their system. Joe, this was tremendous. Thanks for helping me figure out and aligning all the stars to hopefully get things right here at uh, 
pick number four and pick number 10. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. The New York Giants pick at number five and number seven. So keeps this man up at night. Jordan Ronan, ESPN. One of the best. So glad to have you on. Uh, Jordan, I keep coming back to two positions. Okay? okay. Right tackle and cornerback. Is it that simple? I think you have to put edge rusher in there as well. Just because they've been looking or you know, trying to get a high-end edge rusher for a while. It's not the easiest position to get unless you're willing to, A, pay a lot of money in free agency, as you saw this offseason, right? Like the Chandler Jones of the world. Right. Or, B, you take at the top of the draft. It's really hard to hit. You can hit on contributing edge rushers, it seems, in the middle of the draft. But to get one of those kind of guys in the middle rounds is really tough. So when you have these premium picks, it's usually when, look, you think about it. The Bosa brothers, Chase Young, Von Miller, like a lot of these guys, a high percentage of them come from the top of that draft. And the Giants are there. And again, they're there this year. Make You know, it lines up a little better. Last year, it didn't. A couple years back, they the Chase Young draft, it didn't. They missed right. they, they beat Washington late in the season and didn't get him. So I would add that to the mix as well. But I think, Josh, you know it. Five premium positions is pretty much the NFL, right? We just named three, and then there's quarterback. Not a great quarterback draft, and they're in a weird spot at quarterback. And then I think the fifth is becoming wide receiver now. Right. So when you're drafting this high, that's pretty much where the picks are going, right? Yeah, and, and that's really where the top ten is going to be dictated this year. Okay, can we take like a little isolated sample of each one of those? Because kind of where they are right now mm-hmm. might be the sweet spot for, for offensive tackle. Um, mm-hmm. obviously you have Icky, Evan Neal, even Charles Cross, who I believe reportedly, and tell me if I'm wrong here, the Giants asked him to take some right tackle snaps during his pro day workout. So like they are obviously looking not for a replacement for left tackle, but for someone that they believe can slide in on the right side. Is there any way that we can dive into, and it's kind of impossible to know because it's his first time being, you know, a general manager, Brian Dayball as head coach, right. factors, any way of leaning or knowing which one that they might side towards? Here's what I'll say. Uh, when you talk to Dave, Brian Dable, you get the impression, and you look at the moves that they've made, you get the impression that they like offensive linemen that can move, get out. Uh, you're going to see, you know, Dable's offense had a ton of those bubble yep. screens, quick screens, uh, outside zone. So you've seen the pattern, at least in free agency, too. The guys that they're trying to get are offensive linemen with good feet that can move. Now, I think you probably can't go wrong with either of those three top guys that we named. Maybe Icky is probably fit-wise the least of the three. And he's more of the, you know, power grinder guy. Not that he's not athletic and, and pretty, you know, he's he's really good. Right. I think All they would are. I think they would draft him. But like Charles Cross makes a lot of sense for them when you look at it on the surface. He's the super athletic guy, can move, get out, work in space. So yeah. I think him and, and then Evan Neal is a guy that I know they're high on as well. So okay. I think it was kind of like, let's see how the board plays out. Like, right. who's going to be there? You tell me. Who's gonna, which, <laughs> That's which, why I'm talking to all of you. That's which why I'm one is going to be there at five. <laughs> now, if, okay. If, if Neal, we can talk, is it icky? So we talked about tackle. That's my thing because with edge rushers, I think it's really likely that the three top names are gone by number five. 
And so then you're diving into like another tier of all this. And that tier might have to happen after a trade down. But like, let's say Trayvon Walker, who now it seems like almost 50-50 is the number one pick, but things go crazy. If he's there, that makes a lot of sense. Who knows about Kayvon Thibodeau and their relationship with him? But if one of those guys, and I think that makes this a much more interesting conversation versus like the two obvious positions that we keep coming back to. Yeah. Well, here's the game of chicken that's going to be played, right? So who the Giants pick five and seven. Six is the Panthers. Correct. Now the Panthers have been connected to quarterback. I know you don't really believe they're going to go in that direction. I'm kind of with you. But the Panthers aren't drafting an edge rusher. Correct. Or so a corner. If, if, what? Or a corner. Right. So if you're the Giants, tackle's the spot you have to take because that's the spot that Carolina would take. Right. So if you're the Giants, you almost have to take the tackle at five and then take your chances at seven with an if it's an edge rusher or cornerback, you want to go, you know, double back at that point. But then then at the same time, you're wondering, well, Carolina probably would like to trade back. Right. So if that edge rusher, <laughs> if that cornerback's available, you know, will somebody trade up? So it's a real game of chicken the Giants are gonna play here. And they have to, I guess, kind of be careful and prioritize, okay, which guy will we not want to lose? Will we absolutely uh, you know? put everything into we we need this guy right i think it would probably be the right tackle because you know if they pass on a tackle like carolina could very easily just sit there and say we're taking that guy easy so there's a lot more moving parts i think if you're looking at all right trayvon walker drops someone would have to trade up to six to get him carolina then is going to make them pay to do it they want more picks so you know it's a very fine line the giants are in there and the corner pick to me is is interesting in the way that wink martindale and how he builds his defenses right like so much of that defense is reliant on cornerbacks isolating the outside and holding up on their own right Mm -hmm. and so really how what is going to have to change and what is overhead of the giants in general is james bradbury's contract right like it might not appear on the depth chart that cornerback is just a massive need because that's a good name yeah. he's a good player but it is like but he that contract is not sustaining correct not. so really corner is, is a is a top two need for them as well and the panthers aren't taking Absolutely. six so again it gets thrown into the mix of well if sauce is there at six are the panthers does that make a trade out easier for them so then do the giants have to take him at six or right. at five because it he easily is the top name among that group you when you look people always tend to look at the draft from a two uh, from a, a two near near looking Close. scope, yeah. right? Because like James Bradbury won't be on the team by the start of the season. That's like ninety five percent, ninety eight percent. And then you're talking about who's your number one? Then Adoree Jackson, who to be quite honest with you, his contract isn't a great contract. He's getting paid a lot of money. He's not a real number one cornerback. It's possible neither of those guys are on the roster by the end of the, by, by next year. So then where are you at a cornerback? So you really have to look at it from a bigger picture than just saying who's on the who's on the roster and who's on the roster for this year. And with the Giants, like we said, Joe Shane said this, by the way. We have enough needs where it's just best. We could just go best player. You know, like they have enough needs at key positions that anything pretty much work. I mean, you can make the argument that quarterback works, right? Right. I mean, so you can go by their actions. The- it kind of seems like 2022 is Daniel Jones's year. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. He's in the le- he's in the final year of his rookie contract. It's not a great uh, quarterback draft, right? Let's give him one more shot. There are there is some things you look at him and say he he could be a pretty good quarterback if you put him in the right situation. They haven't been able to do that so far. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that this year. 
<laughs> the roster that they have right now, when I look at it, it's their worst. It's the worst roster they've had since I've been here from top to bottom. I mean, they're not in great That's shape. That's saying something, Jordan. Especially, exactly. Especially <laughs> when you take James Bradbury off it. Right. So, like, the fact that their roster in the spring is in worse shape than it's ever been goes to show you how far away this team is from really competing. So, they're building. So, you can take building pieces. You can draft David Ajabo in the second round and say, you know what? Mm-hmm. It's worth it. Let's wait, you know, even though we might not get anything from him this year. Like, that's the situation this team is in right now. Okay, final question. Uh, I actually want to rewind just a little bit to the 2021 draft class because when we got to see um, Kadarius Tony on the field, there was real, like, specialness, I thought, in his rookie that season. little snippet. I know. It was really <laughs> shortened, but it was a lot of, a lot of fun, inside, outside. We yeah. obviously know they paid Kenny Galladay a, a ton of money. We all mm-hmm. want to get excited about a Brian Dayball offense is it possible to assign the quote-unquote Giants number one wide receiver label to one of them at this time I mean it's got to be Kenny Galladay they're paying him a lot of money uh he's the X type receiver you know Kadarius Tony is the move around piece Sterling Shepard when healthy is the slot piece Darius Slayton's Kind of like, uh, you know, he's he's sort of like vertical a vertical role player, a vertical play, yeah, role player, exactly. So everyone seems to have their role, but the most prominent guy needs to be Kenny Galladay. Now the problem is he hasn't done much now in pretty much two years, the last two years, yeah, right. So now we're going back basically three seasons since he's done something. He was banged up last year, set him back, but he was never a big separation guy. And now he's been banged up. You have to be a little bit concerned about, well, what what is he at this point? Yeah, because he was older. But into the they need, too. if they want to be any good offensively, he's got to be that guy. They, they really don't they don't have that. I mean, Kadarius Tony, you electric, <laughs> electric, but like you got to ease him in. Like we haven't even seen him on the field consistently ever. Yeah. As a professional, I mean, like talking about even in the spring last year, he was off wrong the shoes. field. He was off the field. The wrong <laughs> shoes. I never heard of that in my life, by the way. You knew, you knew day one. You know, it kind of reminds me of Odell. Yeah. In the fact that when Odell Beckham came to the Giants that first year, he had a fake fiance out there and he had to denounce the fake fiance. And so you should have known right away that drama was going to follow. And like, I feel like, this is a similar thing with Tony. He had the wrong shoe. You don't hear about that. No. How, you've been playing football your whole life. How do you have the wrong size shoe? <laughs> you know? Jordan, it gives so. you content. At the very least, it gives you content. Uh, thanks so much, man. I'll be reading up until, obviously, Thursday. And I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Anytime, man. Panthers picking at number six overall. That means you have to bring on a man who has been calling the Panthers picks correctly all the way since the Luke Keekley days entering the league. That is Joe Person of The Athletic. Joe, okay, this is my perspective, at least, from my seat. This feels like the list. One, trade out with no second or third round selection. We know Scott Fitter traded out four times last year in his first time as general manager. Two, take a left tackle. It's really the sweet spot for Iki Aquanu. Evan Neal, Charles Cross, whatever order. And then three, the thing that won't go away is a quarterback selection here. You're even closer to this than I am. Does that seem like a fair reaction to you? 
I think you're right on it. I, I think trade back feels like the, the, the top choice. The, the issue, as you know, with with a weak quarterback class, especially, I don't know that there's a ton of teams wanting to come up. Now, would someone come up for one of the tackles or one of the defensive ends? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't think you'd get as much in return as you would if, if it were a hot quarterback class. But, but be that as it may, I don't know. I, I just wonder, you know, we've heard Fitter talk before about not wanting when you have a top 10 pick not wanting to go back too far because he is a big believer that there is a drop off at around 16 and so you know that that still leaves you what nine ten spaces that you could go back so um the tricky thing to me is you're right i think i think the, the the most sensical thing if you're picking with your brain i think you go back because because you, then you have the option of, hey, would improving the line help Sam Darnold? Or we're improving the line, let's go get Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield, and let's see if we, we might you know win 10, 11 games next year. Um, but with your gut, with your heart, does Matt Rule pull the trigger on a Kenny Pickett? Does Scott Fitterer want to reach for a Malik Willis? I don't know. I, I, I appreciate what you said. Most years I have a pretty good feeling on what they're going to do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't this year. Well, let, let's talk through some of those scenarios and maybe start in reverse order and start with the quarterback because really from a national perspective, we see these a lot. They see need at quarterback. Let's fill it with a quarterback and it's most often the Matt rule, Kenny Pickett photo that they took when, you know, he agreed to go to temple. We know the, you know, David Tepper pick connection, all of that stuff. And tell me if I'm off here, but when we get closer and closer, honestly, you all are the ones that are so close to this and follow the team so closely that it's not as simple as we saw last year when the same exact thing happened, when people thought that they needed a quarterback for the future. So you saw a lot of Justin Fields and Mac Jones. Again, from my seat, it's with the Panthers. The last two off seasons have all been about like veteran quarterbacks. And that's the plan. They don't want to live through the growing pains of a rookie, rookie quarterback. And so unless failing last two off seasons in like finding a good quarterback has forced them to do a complete 180, that's a huge departure from from what the plan has been. And then you throw on top of this, Joe, that right now they're the only quarterback needy team that can inherit all of the salary of Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's what leads me to them going in that direction versus possibly being wowed by one of these soon-to-be rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, all that makes sense. Um, I felt all along that why were they keeping 30 million in cap space or whatever it is? And yes, you can roll it over. And yes, they should roll some of it over if, if they choose to do, you know, a, a rookie quarterback because uh, the next year's cap space is, is not very good. Right. Um, yeah. And, and then, and then kind of, I think related to what, what you're talking about, Josh is, who is finally once and for all making this decision? Because if it's Matt Rule and he's beginning this year very clearly on the hot seat, 
does that change his decision to go get an established guy like you're talking about versus Scott Fitter, who came a year after rule, who might be more inclined to draft and develop? Um, Matt, excuse me, Fitter said just, what, six weeks ago at a, at a press conference where we got him, he said the ideal scenario is drafting and developing a quarterback. I mean, that, look, all the you know, we all know that. I mean, that that makes the most sense. That's not what they've done here with Matt Rule. Would they this year? I don't know. Like I said, I, I wish I could tell you. I, I you know, <laughs> But they're sitting there with that cap space. Right. They, they're the only ones money. that can do it. And like the closer we get, Joe, the more it might force – the Browns or the 49ers to inherit some of that salary cap, right? And we're like mm -hmm. the pick compensation to drop because the suitors, there aren't many out there. And like, if they're trying to get these people off their books, the Panthers is the most logical one. Right. And right now, while there are two of those teams out there, you can play them off each other too, to say, well, guess what? We want you to take 75% of his salary or whatever it is. And, We've got other options. And, you know, they they made that clear when the Baker stuff started kind of bubbling over the weekend. It was made, you know, through their various channels, I think the Panthers made it clear to me and to others, yeah, we're kicking the tires on Baker, but we have other options. And, and to, to include the draft, because, uh, you know, they're still bringing guys in. They had, uh, they had Sam Howell in Monday. Right. Um, but – Right. I, I think it's helpful, too. They're the only quarterback, obviously quarterback needy team, and they have two of them out there. So they should be able to drive a pretty decent uh, bargain. Do you think they have a lean either way between Baker or Jimmy? I mean, obviously, both are coming off surgery. Jimmy seems to be a bit further away from, you know, being healthy. And I'm sure they want either one of those to be available, you know, for OTAs or spring workouts to try to implement them as much as possible. Um, it's a great question. Jimmy feels like more of the type of quarterback that Matt rule is comfortable with. Yeah. Just when you think about the last two guys they've had in here, just, you know, Baker's a bit of a live wire, as you know, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I, I just don't know if that's a Matt rule, the brand thing. Um, whereas I think Garoppolo fits that, you know, kind of that, not, I'm not even really talking playing style. It's just sort of like first guy in the building, last one to leave. Um, you know, lead by example. Teammates love him. I don't know that that's the case with Baker. We, you know, I, I know Florio's written a lot about. We haven't heard anybody, uh, former Browns or, or current Browns teammates, like coming to Baker's defense the last right. couple of weeks. Um, all that being said. You know, you've got that shoulder hanging over Jimmy. Um, seemed to be okay. You, did you see the picture of him at, at Augusta last week? Augusta <laughs> Hooters. He, I wonder if he ran into uh, John Daly there. That's, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I don't know if there's a lean or not. It's a great question. I, I again, I think Garoppolo seems to be more of a. Yeah. And the reason I ask that is because just nationally, again, it's just Baker, Baker, Baker all the time. Right. Uh, one more question on quarterbacks. And sorry, I'm spending all my time on this. Um, you had a very interesting tweet. And I'm a sicko. I go through all this, Joe. A couple weeks ago, stating the Panthers are almost showing too much their appreciation or infatuation 
for these soon to be rookie quarterbacks. What was the genesis of that tweet? Just because they were, first of all, I was hearing stuff out of the building about seven or eight people going to these pro days. And then I went to Malik Willis's pro day and there were like four or five, still a big number, but it's like, that's weird. They were talking about seven or eight people. And then, so I go up, I was at Liberty that day. Then the next day I'm sitting on my couch. I'm, I'm going to turn on NFL network or SEC channel, whatever it was and watch Matt Corral. And right there in the backdrop was uh, Ben McAdoo and Matt rule. It's like, they wanted to in this picture frame that I'm in, like they wanted to make sure every Rock other center. Right. And I don't know, was it gamesmanship or is this, and McAdoo really wanted to get close to those guys. And then going up to Mac, uh, McAdoo going up to, to Kenny Pickett and looking at it and then having, yes. like, you know, in front of the, it, I'm with you. Like there is something to this again, if their plan, once again, another off season is to invest in a veteran quarterback now in an anyone but Sam mindset to string this along and show interest in rookie quarterbacks. There is something there. There is something to that. Um, okay. Well, well, we'll see. I, 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 I am not a nutso conspiracy theory theorist, but I would call myself a healthy skeptic. Skeptic. <laughs> okay. So with offensive linemen, again, that is the sweet spot, right? It, any of those three could come in and play laugh tackle. You can move Brady Christensen inside if you want to, and finally, like they have solidified potentially that spot that has been in dire need since the Jordan Gross days. Is there any position that I'm missing? Or really, is it those three spots of the trade-out, offensive tackle, quarterback, that you could see surprise us? Edge, edge rusher, maybe. Just because those two guys at the top are so good. And, you know, they've got to pay Brian Burns very soon. And they just, you know, let uh, Redick walk. Um, they, you know, I... I I think they like Burns. I, I know they like him. I think they're preparing to pay him. But you never know. These things, you know, you, you, I don't think they ever were preparing to pay Reddick. I think they, they sort of knew what was gonna, that was going to cost. So I think Edge Rusher would be the one possible wild card. Just to confuse your listeners even more. <laughs> Joe, I know uh, we're still like nine days away. I know the picture will be crystal clear the day before. So everyone go and read Joe person stuff over on the athletic. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Awesome, man. Good luck. These next nine days. It is time for pick number eight, the Atlanta Falcons, Michael Rothstein of ESPN. Mike. Okay. What if the top seven picks fall this way? Three edge rushers, three offensive tackles and a cornerback. So when I say pick number eight, what position do you immediately jump to in your head? Three edges, three offensive tackles, and a corner. I'm assuming yeah. that corner is Sauce Gardner. Yes. Uh, so if that corner is Sauce Gardner, I mean, listen, quarterback, I can understand the temptation, but the only, only, only way that I would take a quarterback at eight if I'm the Falcons is if I think that Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, or I mean, realistically, any of these other guys, but at eight, you're looking at Willis or Pickett probably, are 100% guaranteed that's the guy I feel 130,000 percent even though that's you know 129,900 more percent than it's <laughs> actually allowed convinced that this guy is my guy for the next decade and could be a franchise quarterback in the NFL 
If you have even a shred of doubt about that, you do not take a quarterback at eight, considering the situation the Falcons are in where they need all of the things that you listed, by the way. So at that point, what three – I mean, assuming I know the three edge rushers were what? Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker. Okay, so the top three are off. They're out. So at that point, I think you're looking at wide receiver. Uh, And – you know, Garrett Wilson's really intriguing. Drake London would be really intriguing. London, more of the bigger body guy that Arthur Smith right. really likes. Garrett Wilson, probably the most talented receiver on the board. But, you know, Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, I don't think you can go wrong with any of those four receivers. But there's also a lot of receiver depth here. Like a guy like Christian Watson makes a ton of sense to me late first, early second. So, like, that would, to me, at 43 would make a lot of sense for the Falcons. Hmm. So, I would go receiver if – that was how it felt. And I, how, that was how it felt. And I think I would go Garrett Wilson, but I'm not convinced of that yet. Drake, I really think Drake London would be a possibility. Is the Drake London because of what you just said about Arthur Smith, maybe some critical factors that the general manager has talked about? Because all these different wide receivers bring different traits and different skills at the top. Like there's not this one like complete package necessarily that even Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle were last year so have they been able to hint at anything for for me for for us to be able to like cipher on the style or type they could be looking for as like the wide receiver one on their board because they really might be the first team to take a wide receiver they might they very well could be by the way uh, and just i'm going through this in my head as we're talking kyle hamilton's still on the board too right yes so i mean kyle hamilton's the other wild card in there like if they truly go and not to divert from the wide receiver question no no you're good if they go truly best player most best talent available and again, I'm figuring the offensive tackles are Evan Neal and, and the NC State kid. And like, so those Charles are two Cross. Big, yeah, yep. and Charles Cross. Well, Charles, that would be a surprise to me if Charles Cross went that high, but I can understand it. Uh, Kyle Hamilton is probably the best player available. So if Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith went pure BPA, I think it would be, I think Kyle Hamilton's a really intriguing player. And, and you can even throw Derek Stingley in there at corner, but to me, Kyle Hamilton. But they don't need safety as much as they need receiver and receiver has so much talent, but there's also more depth at receiver. This is part of the question for the Falcons when you need everything. So as far as receiver, I mean, listen, you go back and look at what Arthur Smith had at Tennessee and he loves his bigger bodied guys. So who's that guy of those four? And that's Drake London to me. And, And he's a guy that can win and you pair Drake London with Kyle Pitts. All of a sudden you have two really dynamic, taller problems for defenses to deal with. And listen, Kyle Pitts is a guy that can stretch. I feel Drake London can a little bit. Kyle Pitts can do it even more, especially up the seam. You can line them up on both sides. And all of a sudden, say you line up Pitts out wide, which the Falcons did a lot last year. If you have Drake London on one side, Kyle Pitts on the other, I mean, good luck two corners, unless you have two six two corners who can run 4-4. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, otherwise, there's going to be a matchup there with a 5-10, 5-11 corner that may be a little faster, but if that corner is on, you know, or a safety, like that, it causes problems. And Arthur Smith loves versatility. Yeah. So that's, and then you have Cordero Patterson too, by the right. way, who's six two, who can line up in the slot in the backfield, do all these things with. So all of a sudden you can go six four, six two, six four along your front line and have a, a little guy in there, whether it's a woman is a case or somebody else. And that that's problematic for your, for your offense and gives Marcus Marietta some some targets for 2022 at least. This is a, a niche question, but have they ever talked about like different styles in the wide receiver room? Because I'm with you, like Drake London and Cal Pitts could be a, a lot of fun and both are shockingly good after the catch, like really difficult to bring down. 
Um, but we also hear from other teams of, well, we want to kind of make it like a basketball lineup, right? Like one speedster to get down the field, take the top off coverages, another bigger body underneath. Have they ever mentioned anything of that sort? Uh, he hasn't really talked about it, but you could see it. I mean, it makes sense. Car- Arthur Smith is a big basketball guy, like loves himself some Memphis Grizzlies. Like he's a Memphis guy. So that 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 can make a lot of sense. And and listen, this is a deep draft for receivers, and you can get a shorter burner late. You can get one in the seventh round that maybe can play. And don't forget they have a guy in Frank Darby who his biggest trait is being a down-the-field threat guy. Like we didn't see him last year. He's a project, but He's a guy that theoretically could get a lot of run this year. And if he does, maybe they do that. They got they they signed Auden Tate as well. I mean, Auden Tate's a bigger bodied guy. So maybe say let's argue they say they take Garrett Wilson, right? And they want to use Garrett Wilson in the slot a yeah. decent amount. Or Chris Olave in the slot a decent amount. Like, well, then you have Auden Tate theoretically on the outside to yeah. be that six four guy as well. So there there is a lot of mixing and matching there. I don't think he's gonna just have five, six, four, six, five guys across the board because <laughs> while that could be a real headache, also you don't have that that guy in the middle that can really cause problems for you as well. So yeah, I think they will look at a burner at some point, but they did look at their team last year, right? They had a, a burner in Marvin Hall who they didn't use. Now Marvin Hall has his limitations, his I've covered him in Detroit and Atlanta and his route tree is really a go and that's about it. And you ask him to do a lot more and it's not great. But I think if they have a burner who can run a more complete route tree, because that's important to Arthur Smith, then you got a real talent there and he'll use them. I mean, that, don't forget, this is a team that Calvin Ridley was, that was their plan with Calvin Ridley, but then Calvin right. Ridley didn't really play last year and now he's suspended. So it's interesting to see what happens there at wide receiver, but listen, don't, by the way, I know we've talked a lot about receiver. Don't count out, Kyle Hamilton at eight, if he's sitting yep. there. And Let, let's and, talk about that because I know like Terry Fontenot his history with the saints. If we can go back to there, because some teams just don't value safety as much as others, but like the saints have, I mean, Malcolm Jenkins, you, you had Marcus Williams. There's a number of names I can keep coming back to there. And so it, it, it is kind of difficult to find a place at times for Kyle Hamilton. But then you look at like the safeties on the roster right now for the Falcons and it's Eric Harris, Dean Marlowe, Jalen Hawkins, Richie Grant, like these are just names I'm throwing out there. That makes a lot of sense. It does. I'm listening. By the way, Jalen Hawkins, do not sleep on Jalen Hawkins. Jalen Hawkins is probably a starter this year, unless they go really heavy on safety. But he would have been a starter last year, except they had Deron Harmon and Eric Harris, and they really were relying on those two veterans. But Hawkins was playing a lot, and they had a lot of injuries in, in their secondary last year. Jalen Hawkins is a starter. He's a good player. Richie Grant was a second-round pick last year. They have a lot of belief in him. And he's a guy that they had to move down to nickel when they lost Isaiah Oliver. So they do have some talent at safety. Eric Harris, a reliable veteran. But it goes deeper than Terry Fontenot when it comes to safety because Dean Pease loves himself some safeties. And he loves himself some versatile safeties that you can play multiple places. And really, if that was like the – if you were looking for like a seven-word trait description of a player, like you can take that seven-word description I just gave you and place it in front of Kyle Hamilton's name, and that's exactly what you have. And Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator, loves those types of players. So Kyle Hamilton can make a lot of sense for Atlanta. It's what makes forecasting what they do so tricky because they could literally go in seven or eight different directions, and you wouldn't be like, oh, wow, that doesn't make sense, or oh, that's a reach. Like, because if they, like we talked about quarterback before, if they really felt strongly about one, okay, I mean, it makes sense. 
I wouldn't necessarily do it, but it makes sense. Any of the receivers makes sense. Any of those offensive linemen are there makes sense. Edge rusher, they need edge rushers. That's to me their number one need. So any of those guys there makes sense. And then you have Sauce Gardner, Kyle Hamilton. You can even say Derek Sinling, but I mean, realistically now we're talking about 12 players. So there's going to be value there at eight for them. And to me, it's also if they can somehow trade down, like say they're not interested in a quarterback and someone wants to trade up and get one and they can go to 12, they can still get a really good player at 11 or 12, you know, or 13, somewhere in that range. Like say Minnesota wanted to take quarterback at 12, right? Like, and that's just art for argument's sake. And they wanted to trade down to 12. You can get a lot, you can get a really good value player, pick up more picks to help facilitate your rebuild a little more. Atlanta to me is such a versatile, has such a versatile position and is really an unknown of what they're going to do. Uh, in the ESPN mock draft, I've gotten between covering Detroit and covering Atlanta, I've gotten the pick right every year that we've done the mock draft, but one. And I missed okay. on Frank Rag now. So, so, so you got to give it to me. What? what no, is but here's the today? problem. This year, I feel <laughs> zero confidence that I'm going to get it right because, like, usually by now I have it da- narrowed down to two or three guys, and I feel good about it. And listen, once you get past three or four, you're you're dependent on your colleagues too. But to me, I just you know, I, I think they can go so by your by your ways. tone, it kind of makes me think Sauce or Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, but just trying to get I, your head depend- here. No, it just depends on what's there. I mean, yeah. it really does because listen, both Sauce and Hamilton can be gone. Both theoretically Correct. could even be there. Correct. Right. And but if say, let's just for our, I mean, listen, I think I feel pretty good saying the one player I would absolutely not expect to see at number eight is Aiden Hutchinson, right? Like if Aiden Hutchinson's sitting there at eight, like don't even bought, like you don't even need yeah. to call the person in Vegas for the card. It's like, you just know you're doing that, right? Like that, I, I don't see that happening, but other than him, I, I mean, this can fall so many different ways, yeah. right? Like, uh, let, me, I, let me ask one more question. Yeah. Cause I'm already taking up way too much. Of your time. No, you're fine. We're good. Um, could they potentially stay at defensive tackle really close to home and take Jordan Davis? Is that even I, in the equation? I think it's a possibility. Uh, it's funny. I'm, I'm recording. I do these mock draft madness podcasts on my, on my podcast from the perch. I do one a month. And then next Thursday on draft day, I'll have kind of one or two final mock draft scenarios, but I'm recording actually between this, recording this podcast, recording that podcast. It's all draft all the time here right now. Yeah. Uh, same. Except for, except for the Amanda, Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor fight that I'm actually going to New York to cover next Saturday night. Uh, best fight in women's boxing history. But beyond that, so I was on my podcast from the perch and in my, I, I did not take Jordan Davis in any of those mock drafts, but Man, I considered it each time because that's the other question right now with the Falcons that is still kind of not being talked about as much is what happens with Grady Jarrett. Grady Jarrett, their best player, second best player on the roster, depending how you feel about AJ Terrell. And he's going to his last year of his contract. Who knows if he's going to get traded? Who knows if he's going to sign an extension? They could franchise tag him. All those options are on the table because it's unclear what Grady Jarrett wants. So to me... Yeah, Jordan Davis is an absolute possibility at number eight. And, you know, I think depending on how the board falls or if they say that we were talking about trades before, right? Say they trade back to 12. Let's for argument's sake, Jordan Davis is there at 12, man. Like, just take it and call it a day. Another name that would make sense to me, although I think it's high at eight, is N'Kobe Dean. Because they need a linebacker too. And N'Kobe Dean can get from sideline to sideline and be incredibly versatile. Dean Pease loves versatility. So, 
there are so many players that could make sense for Atlanta because they have so many needs and so much talent that they have to replace that any of those guys can make a lot of sense. But Jordan Davis is a fair question. And again, if next Thursday Jordan Davis ends up being the pick at eight, from a media perspective, that's great for me because he seems like a wonderful quote from when I spent some time with him at Georgia Media Day. So, you know, and that's really what I care about. I, just give me good quotes and, and people with interesting stories. Like that's right. what matters to me. Uh, but man, that would not surprise me in the slightest. I wouldn't be like, oh, this felt feels wrong. I'd be like, oh, this makes a ton of sense for what you're trying to build. Yeah, and I think the Falcons also already have six picks in the top 106. So it's uh, there, there's you have a lot of work to do. Let's put it that way. It's going next, to be a busy. It's going to be a busy Thursday and Friday. And don't forget, yeah. listen, they can trade too. And, and who knows what this thing looks like by next Thursday in terms of the picks they have, and then draft day moves. And uh, I think it's going to be a real interesting three days for the Falcons because they are a team that needs everything and could take any position at any time. I mean, listen, they need a punter too. Really, the only position they're not taking is kicker. I feel yeah. pretty confident saying they're not taking a kicker. They signed Young Waku to a long-term extension. But any other position at any time, the Falcons could theoretically take, and it would not shock me, except like a running back in the first round, right? But even a second-round running back wouldn't surprise me. That's the intrigue about the Falcons. Very few other teams in the league can say that, but that's not necessarily a good thing because it also means you need everything. Mike, thank you for your time. Really appreciate hey, it. Hey, no good problem. Luck. Happy to be here. Seattle Seahawks pick number nine. So we have to bring in from the athletic Michael Sean Dugar MSD. Okay. Last time the Seahawks were even close, even close to pick number nine. I think it was early 2012, 15 overall. Bruce Irvin was the selection. I think that kind of speaks to how unpredictable John Schneider and Pete Carroll can kind of be in these draft situations. And ever since then, it's like the Malik McDowell trade down, Rashad Penny in round one. LJ Collier, Jordan Brooks. I don't have to go on and on. We'll lose some Seattle, Seattle Seahawks fans here. Um, so simple question. What's your overall read for a team that is drafting in the top 10 that rarely drafts in the top 10? Yeah, and I think even th that 2012 class you mentioned, they took Bruce at 15, but I believe their, their native pick was 12, mm. I think. And they traded back out of the pick that became Fletcher Cox, I want to say. Uh, and there's like some... It's interesting between them and the Eagles because I'm pretty sure the Eagles wanted Russ, and mm -hmm. I know the Eagles were interested in Bobby, but they ended up taking Michael Kendricks that same draft, and the Seahawks took uh, took Bobby Wagner, and then the, the Eagles wanted him at – the Eagles wanted Russ in the third, but then the Seahawks took – there's a lot of, like, Eagles-Seahawks um, right. connections in that 2012 draft in particular. I'm writing about that class. That's why it's in my head. Um, but I think it's so weird that they're in this position – and it's like they're they're they were bad enough to be here, right? Because their native pick would have been ten, um, but they have uh, that the Jets have because of the Jamal Adams trade. And I think when I look at like, all right, if I'm in the top ten, that means we were really bad. It's right. everything, not just the <laughs> for the most part. And it's like, why were we really bad? With most teams, you can just work backwards. It's almost like being a mechanic trying to figure out why someone's car won't start. If you know cars, you just work backwards. You know how a car should start, and that's how you can troubleshoot a car. Same thing with a football team. Okay, why are we bad? Let's work backwards. Is our quarterback good? No. Let's draft one then. If our quarterback's good, yes. All right, then you work backwards. What else is good? Is our O-line good? Is our D-line good? Is our receiver room good? Is our cornerback room good in some type of order? So for the Seahawks, it's a very simple process for me. Is our quarterback good? Ooh. Well, who is the quarterback? Oh, if you can't answer that, you should draft one. That That's kind of the position uh, that I'm in. And if you ask Pete Carroll or John Snyder, well, why are you? why do you have a top 10 pick this year? 
well, it's because our quarterback was hurt. It's like, well, why do you have the number nine pick specifically? Well, because we gave away our quarterback. So everything is around that position for me. It all starts there. And I've been telling people this all offseason. If you look at the teams who get the front offices that get fired, it's usually because they either didn't find a quarterback or mishandled the one that they had. So if you're going to opt into being a team that has to search for a new quarterback, then you better work your hardest at that. Otherwise, you'll be out of here sooner rather than later. Okay, there's a lot to dive into there. And I'm glad that you brought up that position because, you know, the Lions at two, the Panthers at six. I actually think they both pass on the quarterbacks right now where they're sitting. My brain immediately jumps to the Pittsburgh Steelers at pick number 20. That's a canyon of difference, though, between, you know, top six to, to 20 overall. I know what you just said about the quarterback position. If that position isn't fixed and there's an evaluation that matches it, then boom, we run, we roll with that spot. So from your seat, surveying this team, do you think that they could talk themselves into or not even have to, that there is a quarterback that they will be willing to take at nine overall? I don't think they will take a guy at nine just because I feel like they they feel like they have a good enough uh, feel for what the other teams are going to do because that's what the draft is as well. Like your board, if you're thinking about it, is really irrelevant. It, not totally irrelevant, but like, the other 31 boards matter almost as much. Like you could have a grade on a guy here. Well, if the Steelers think that he's a top 10 pick, you're not going to get him. As you, you always have to have that intel. And I think based on kind of how I know the Seahawks operate, they feel comfortable enough knowing, I, we don't think none of these guys are top 10 picks. No one else does either, or at least the guy that we like. Um, I could see them liking a few different guys. I can see them liking Malik Willis. Mm-hmm. just because like there are some Russell Wilson-esque traits there, good and bad. Strong arm can be part of the run game right away. Um, can is really elusive. Takes a lot of bad sacks though, as a lot of as a result of that. I think Malik led the league and uh, led the nation uh, in sacks last year. So I could see them liking the good and the the bad, so to speak, with him. I could see them liking Sam Howell, who throws a, a really nice deep ball, and Pete Carroll loves that about his quarterbacks. I could see them liking Desmond Ritter. Uh, I can mostly see the OC Shane Waldron liking. Desmond Ritter, just because if you ask him to run the play, like, hey, your reads are one, two, three, bang. If you don't got it, throw it in the dirt or whatever. Desmond's going to go one, two, three, bang. If he doesn't have it, throw it in the dirt. Whereas I think Malik is more likely to be like, well, maybe I could get to a sixth read that includes like a triple axle <laughs> in the backfield. And then maybe we get the first down. It's like, well, no, you know, we just de- we just dealt with that for 10 years. So it just kind of depends on how they want to they want to balance that. Like, so I could see them. I could see them taking someone in the first round. Uh, I think that they need to, in terms of intel, I think they need to be really, really, really careful of like getting smoke screened mm-hmm. like, by some of these teams. Because like Pittsburgh and Carolina, they've made it clear. I think they visited with like every quarterback. But like be be careful of the teams that didn't meet with those guys that are like, no, 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 we did our intel without you know people someone tweeting about it. Yeah, so I don't think they'll like a guy at nine, but I could see them using like pick forty or something like that to trade back into the second uh, to the end of the first round if if New Orleans or Pittsburgh or hell, even maybe like the team like the Titans doesn't take their guy. And no mention of Matt Corral either, who there was that photo during NFL Combine with Lane Kiffin, with, you know, Pete Carroll. There's the Monty Kiffin connection, all that type of stuff. You can make a case for any of these guys. And, and you just right. said, I think, really, really well. Okay. So if I'm trying to interpret what you were saying, we also know the history of PC and JS. And a lot of it is, oh, we're trading down. We're getting out of this spot. We want to acquire picks because we like to read the room, think we can, good and bad, and get our guy 
later than we we have to, than we need to. Do you think that is priority number one, possibly from number nine overall? Uh, not from number nine. I don't, I don't, I don't want to rule it out, but I just don't think it's priority. They did it in years past because they don't give 32 first round grades. Right. Most teams don't, uh, for those who don't know, like most teams have about anywhere from 15 to 18 first round grades. And they kind of feel like from pick 20 to pick 40 ish, you're getting comparable talents, uh, in that range. So in like, let's say 2018, for example, we mentioned they pick Rashad Penny, they pick Rashad at 27, but they actually had the 18th pick that year. And traded out of it until they got to 27 before taking Jermaine Fetty 31 in 2016. I think they actually had pick 26. Same thing with Luke McDowell in 2017. I think they also started with pick 26, traded back a few times. So in that range, yeah, I can see why, okay, we didn't have 18 first round grades on guys. Now, clearly that was a mistake. Jair Alexander, I think, is the pick that went at 18 uh, in 2018. So maybe they should have just used it. Um, but I think at pick nine, I know they got nine first round grades. Yep. I'm pretty sure they probably have anywhere from about 12 to 15 first round grades. So I don't think, I don't think it's a priority to trade back because they also, they need so much stuff. They need, you look at their needs. They need a quarterback, left tackle, right tackle, edge and corner. <laughs> Man, that's hard. I mentioned the car analogy. That's like your car needed an engine, four wheels, a steering wheel, an alternator, you know, uh, it's so much uh, yeah. transmission. Like you, it's almost like you need a whole new car. So I don't think they can afford to really trade back too far uh, because they just have so many needs. They just need to just take a good player at nine. Okay. I'm going to throw out some names at you to me when I, cause I'm a psychopath and go back and watch all these post-draft press conferences of these, these general managers and head coaches, decision makers. And every single year, again, PC JS talk about, Oh, we love players that have gone through adversity. They haven't cared as much about a clean injury history as other teams have as well. They seek kind of value in that. So Derek Stingley at number nine overall kind of fills the cornerback need. I don't know if he has the exact outside corner measurements as the thresholds that they've used in the past. If he's sitting there at nine, that fills one of those cornerstone positions that has really been their identity for many, many years. Does that name make sense to you? Yeah, I think so. He's a guy that there's a few guys that like if they're there at nine, like I would yell at Pete or John to like, like we're all going to be in the same draft room this year for the first time in forever. Not like in the same room, but like we're here and they're in another adjacent room. So maybe if I just go out in the hallway and say, hey, take Derek, <laughs> you know, we're on the clock. Maybe they they hear me. Him, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, I think those two, if Evan Neal somehow falls there, mm -hmm. left tackle from Bama, those three, like, hey, if they're there, maybe Sauce as well, like, hey, yo, Pete go take the guy. Like I'm telling you, just, just go take him. Uh, I would, I would like Derek there. Uh, I do think that the, the measurement thing is interesting with cornerbacks. Cause like last year, their best starting lineup was Trey Brown from Oklahoma. who was a rookie who's about five, nine with um, arms that aren't 32 inches and DJ Reed, who's also like five, nine and has about 31 inch arms. So they had two short guys out there playing on the outside and that was their best lineup. Uh, so who knows what their measurements are now? Like I've been telling people all off season, the one thing we should all agree on in Seattle is that none of us actually know what the Seahawks are thinking for real. Cause every year they throw us some type of curveball, And I expect the same thing with the number nine pick this year. And they're also in this weird middle ground where there's a very likely chance that those top three offensive tackles and Icky and Charles cross and Evan Neal, however you want to sort them are gone by pick number nine. We've you already outlined it. They legitimately don't have a starting left tackle and right tackle on their roster right now so then you wonder like hey 
would you jump a quote unquote tier from, you know, just media evaluators to like Trevor Pinning, for, for example, and, and start that one. But I could easily see them in the vein of what we talked about with their late first round picks, shocking everyone and thinking that type, that mauling, aggressive finisher is one of the 15 or 16 first round grades. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I could see we just had Ray Roberts. Uh, he was the Seahawks first pick in the 1992 draft. I think he was the 10th pick. We just had him on our podcast um, and he talked about everything you just mentioned. Like Trevor just he plays like a badass yeah. and you could see any any quote unquote football guy just loving like a badass, just th- laying on guys after the play, throwing them down. that will be flags in the NFL, but you know, throwing guys down. I could easily see it. Like you got to look at, like you said, you're a maniac for these press, these post press, uh, these post draft press conferences. Those are really revealing whether yep. the team wanted to be or not. Like they thought Rashad could be the best Rashad Penny could be the best back, at least the second best back. I think that's Saquon's class. Like they thought he could be the best second best guy. They think Daryl Taylor, of their 2020 second round pick is like the best pass rusher in his class. One that includes chase young. They took Bruce Irvin in 2012 thinking that he was the best pass rusher in that 2012 class turned out to be Chandler Jones. Um, So they've made these selections and telling us their thought process. We thought this, we didn't think this of this guy. We liked this trait. You know, you mentioned injury history. They love the fact that Rashad played every game in college. He didn't get hurt. What happened when he got to the league? boom, you know, kind of kind of went to hell. So they've given us their process, which is why I do feel like I have a little bit of insight. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, you, there's no way I could have predicted the Jordan Brooks pick in 2020. I just couldn't. It's all the inside I had, all the people I talked to. There's no way you could have told me they could have took an inside linebacker with the 27th overall pick. They're just Seahawks are just so unpredictable and unconventional, intentionally so, you know, on draft weekend. It's almost like these decision makers – are so relieved that that long weekend is over that the first and the second and the third round are over that they're a little bit more honest than they are in general. So it, it is something that I really, really like to let's keep that secret between us. Um, Okay. At the very least, this seems probably set at linebacker, right? Like Jordan Brooks, Chin and Wosu, like there's no way like a Devin Lloyd could potentially, I'm trying to throw out names. And if you have one in mind with number nine, we can just end this conversation if we want. To. Yeah. So they're in, the, they're going full three, four now. So like, that's why I like cable on there. Cause he would just be a, a beast in that structure. Um, he's a better fit than like, they've had Carlos Dunlap, Benson, Mayo guys who are like four, three right. and that just don't fit the guys who got a rush from a two point stance. But like, they could easily take Devin Lloyd. Like every time I watch Devin Lloyd or um, give me the kid from Georgia's name, Dean, his first name. Jacoby. Uh, whenever I see those two guys, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. Any linebacker coach is going to love the way these guys are just so freaking violent. Uh, and Seahawks have taken guys from Morgan Scowley's defense uh, out in Utah. They took Marquise Blair in 2019, a safety, and they took Cody Barton, inside linebacker from that same 425 that Utah. Had. Yeah, like the, those were both day two guys. So. It wouldn't as as much as I'm like saying that they're unpredictable. There are some guys like I can see Pete loving Devin Lloyd, loving you know loving the physicality he brought. Being from he he played with guys who went to Utah. They've already liked guys from Utah's scheme. You can easily see themselves talking into an inside linebacker, particularly after you know, cutting Bobby Wagner this offseason. Okay, I've kept you way too long. Quick question: DK Metcalf's not getting traded, correct? I don't think so, and it's not. Here's here's why. I think that the Seahawks can it'd be tough. They would need like Johnny Cochran doing the debating for them, but they could make the case that they are not rebuilding. And I mean that to like their coaching staff and to their players, particularly the ones who just read up this offseason, like a Uchenna, 
and Wasu or a uh, Quandre Diggs, like some of the veteran guys who are like, hey, I came here to win, right? Like that's what we're gonna do. It's not like signing with the Jets or something like that. You can you can make that argument. You can't make that once you trade DK, and that's when you are in fear of losing your locker room. Like right now, you can sell it. It's a crappy sell, but you can sell it. You have you lose all hope of selling it if you trade a 24 year old DK Metcalf for some 23 year old from Ohio State. Doesn't matter how good that guy is. It's just you you just can't ju- it's a locker room thing more than it's like a strategic thing for me. Like it's not the same as like the Chiefs getting rid of Tyreek, right? They could still make the army because they have Mahomes, they have the other, they have the rest of the infrastructure. You just can't, even the Packers can kind of make the argument still. They have Rodgers, they have the infrastructure. The Seahawks just cannot make that argument. And you will lose guys. Veterans don't tank. Football hurts too bad to tank. They're not here for the rebuild. They're not here for that. They feel too shitty. I'm sorry if I can't cuss in here. No, you're good. They feel too shitty on Monday morning to be tanking for 17 weeks. They will not do that. And if you were basically act, if you're effectively asking them to do that, um, you're going to lose them. They will tune you out. You will have, I joke that it'll look like January 6th at the Seahawks headquarters if they trade DK. And that is what I mean. You will lose the guys in the building who matter the most if you trade DK for some picks. I told you eight minutes. It's been uh, 15 <laughs> minutes. Um, everyone out there, go and check out the Seahawks man-to-man podcast. Michael Sean Dugar over at The Athletic. Thank you so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No problem, man. Anytime you need me. Boom. Boom.